Hello and welcome to Fulhamish Podcast, the weekly audio show that is all about the ins and outs of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James. Thank you for downloading this episode. Joining me on the podcast this week, Farrell Monk is here. Hello, everyone. Jack Collins is here. Hello, listeners. And once again, Ben is off. So making his Fulhamish debut, we've only gone and found another Farrell writer and comedian. John O'Farrell is here. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Thank you for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. What's the first impressions of the uh, of the setting? Oh, it's so glamorous here. Got to be on this floating barge in the middle of the Thames. Opposite <laughs> the, it's amazing. All drinks supplied. So it was a dramatic game for the Whites on Saturday. A game that really should have been quite a routine win was anything but. And as Valentine's Day is around the corner, Fulham fans have a new love affair. Niskins Cabano grabbed his first goal with effectively the last kick of the game to snatch us, quite frankly, an undeserved three points. Uh, we'll talk a bit more about that game. We'll also be looking forward to the Nottingham Forest and Spurs games, as well as recalling some of our favourite FA Cup memories. And at the end of the show, uh, we've got some very exciting news to share with you as well. First, let's look, have a look at the Wigan game. I asked you for your three-word reviews. Colm Bugler said, uh, my favourite tweet, uh, never in doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, Robert Elliott said, uh, can't feel toes. I think I left some yeah. of my toes uh, on the Hammersmith end. And then Ed Douts summed it up, big three points. And it was a big three points, Jack. And as I just mentioned, it was an undeserved win. We didn't play well throughout, but an important three points. And it keeps us within a sniff of potentially reaching the top six at the end of the season. Yeah, I think it's a big three points because of the way that it played out rather than because of, you know, it being a win against someone we didn't necessarily need to win against. We needed those three points from Wigan because, as we've said in weeks past, these are the games that if we're going to make it now and we need to win these games comfortably and then nick a few results off teams around us. And I think that if we can do that, then we stand a chance. And... So coming away from the kind of game that it was, you think it's a big three points purely because it is a win at the end of the day. And a, a good example of this, I think, between Nick and Gareth had a little exchange on Twitter uh, where Nick said, bad lucky win, to which Gareth replied, there's only one word that counts there, and that's the last one. And I think that's a, a good summary, three points that we desperately needed and we got. So there we are. Farrell, I can't really think of another time this season that we have played badly and won ugly. I can think of a lot of times where we've played well and not won. So it's quite nice almost to be on the other end of the foot. Obviously, I don't want Fulham to play badly, but it was a bit of a change for once. Absolutely. We're kind of sick to death uh, speaking on this podcast week in, week out, where we have played well, we have dominated teams, but we haven't taken them to the cleaners as much as we should do. We, the amount of times we've gone, we should have won that 3 or 4 nil, and yet it's, we've come away with a one-all draw. Um the only one that I can think back to the early part of the season was we won away at Blackburn, which was pretty much the last kick of the game in similar circumstances, really, where it was kind of an ugly game throughout. There weren't many chances either side in that at that time, um, but it didn't look like Fulham were going to win that game at all. Uh, admittedly, that was at the start of the season when things were starting to sort of form together, but... For the first time in a long time, it is was an ugly win. And to be honest, I'd rather take 100 ugly wins over... 20 sort of pretty draws yeah exactly just uh, just slightly warmer ones exactly and <laughs> yeah. um, john what did you make of fuller's performance well, on saturday know, do you know what i don't think it's as ugly as you guys are saying i thought that there was some still some great football played and i think we deserve to win in the sense that we completely dominated possession and uh that the two goals we did let in were sort of crass defensive errors uh and sort of 
two sort of moments of madness in the game. It wasn't like they were peppering shots at, um, at Button. We were on top most of the game, and I think we were the better team. Um, I think we deserve to win because of Odoi's celebration. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> Cartwheel in the air, deserved it. Um, I, thought the four, I thought the landing, though, was four out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> but, Harsh. Uh, and um, the, uh, the, the free kick that I wasn't expecting to be laid off was uh, beautifully put away. And um, I, thought we did, I thought our goals were all quality goals, unlike theirs, which sort of came from us slipping up. Exactly. And let's have a look um, at some of the goals, starting uh, with Fulham's uh, brilliant assist uh, from Aluko. Pass back to Floyd Iite, his first goal since returning uh, from the African Cup of Nations. The thing I thought about Aluko on Saturday is he was one of the only players who was willing to take on the Wigan defenders. And that adds, in a game like that where it is so tight, even in the second half there were moments they didn't come off. But you really need people that are willing to take risks. And sometimes in the second half, we didn't take enough risks. I think at home, Aluko sort of comes into his own a little bit more than some of our other players, perhaps. I thought he was brilliant on the weekend. I really did. And I'm apt to criticise Sean Aluko. So that's, for me, that's, a, that's high praise indeed. And <laughs> considering I thought he had quite a lacklustre performance against Birmingham, I thought he looked really, really sharp. And I thought the same against Hull. I thought he was excellent against Hull. Mm-hmm. So it was, it's, you know, two home performances in a row where Aluko's really, you know, for me, been the standout man. And I think that it comes down to the fact that he you know obviously enjoys his football at the cottage he enjoys you know the way that you know obviously the pitch is laid out and he's comfortable there and I think that he comes into games far more at home I was a bit disappointed on that right with uh, with Aite sort of not taking on players as much as as Aluko and I expected him to come back from the from AFCON absolutely flying to be honest and it was only when Cabano came on that I thought he's uh, that I thought that we started to look a bit, you know, more dangerous on 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 both flanks as opposed to just Lucas. Maybe it was the shock of coming back from an African summer to a uh, <laughs> London winter, Riverside frost. You know, Ute is normally a player who runs at people and creates exciting yeah, chances, sure. but Lucas' little run down the right there, where he just ran along the the, the touchline and pulled it in, uh, was the most exciting moment. You know, the first half yeah. and. Uh, I was expecting lots more of it, and I was expecting us to sort of run away with the game against a team like Wigan, who you expect uh, to get relegated. Well, that's the thing. Often these games against teams in the lower end of the table at home, it's often about the first game, and if they can frustrate you for 60, 70 minutes, maybe get one on the break, uh, a la Burton. A la Burton Albion, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> earlier in the season. But you kind of expected us just to go on and win it comfortably at 1-0, but it all just went wrong in... Five-minute horror show at the end of the at the end <laughs> yeah. of the first half. The yeah. fans around me were really giving Reem a hard time, and mm. uh, he was, um, I think, partly to blame for that first goal. Was it, was it him who passed back when he could have passed to the keeper safely? He went off to the to the That's, right. I think, we got caught that, in possession, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that the second? Was that the no, second goal? Well, no, I don't. I don't think that. I think it was before even they scored their first. I think that was. Oh, that was when he got caught in possession, he didn't yeah. score. Yeah, yeah. correct. By yeah, the very know. by the very impressive uh, Bogle, um, who. I mean, he was their focal point of their attack. When when I mentioned last week about where the game against Sheffield Wednesday they had um, the Friday night before last, that Wigan were impressive without having any potency because they didn't have a focal point in the attack. Like I mentioned, that um, their biggest goal threat was Dan Byrne, which is saying a lot for them. <laughs> and then uh, Omar Bogle for them on Saturday was um, just so impressive on the ball. He was hounding our defenders like no other striker has done against us for a long time. The fact that we've been really you know, singing Tim Bream's praises the past month or so since he's come back into the team. And then he looked very yeah. out yeah. of sorts. He looked nervous. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was the most rela- relieved man in London after that 
chance went begging because he just got robbed. We got found out quite early because the first thing he did was send Bogle the wrong way and turn him and clear it and all the crowd were going mad for it. It's, like, it's happening <laughs> again. And then the next time Bogle just called his bluff and it was yeah. like, oh, I see what's going on. And he didn't seem to recover from it. I'm going to go out there and put it on a limb and say both the goals are completely Scott Malone's fault. Oh, really? Uh, on a, on a, I think. Well, I think scoring one of them, I suppose. Well, yeah, I, I, was say, I don't more... feel good. I don't feel like you're going on much of a limb for the first one. <laughs> no, but it was like you know, on the on the commentary, on the commentary, Jamie Jamie said, "Oh, that's a difficult one." No, it's not. The ball looks <laughs> like you can see from a couple of miles off that the ball is going off over over Bogle's head, and so Malone also he's not attacking the man. It's not like he's trying to get across his defender. The ball goes over his head, and all you have to do at that point is either. Like let it bounce across you. There's no one on his right. Like no one at all. The whole the, the ground is empty. But does he know that? Well, he's he got it? to know that. If he hasn't, if he doesn't know that, then that's poor defensive awareness of what's around you. And I think that one, he just sticks a boot here at his own goal, as if he's trying to lift it over the goal almost. And the <laughs> other one is like clear the ball sideways, either either side or back towards the way it came. And I just I, I can't understand what's going through his head when he puts the ball in the back of the net. And you know, you said. It perfectly sounded that you thought maybe he was a bit too excited to get on, you know, add to his goal tally. But, you know, he, he I thought, you know, he wasn't used to shooting at, you know, at the Hammersmith end first half. Well, that, I think actually, <laughs> that was actually quite interesting. I thought that did affect the game, the fact that uh, Wigan swapped ends after the toss. And I hate I was, it. made me worried in the second half that, that the atmosphere was so dead at the other end that it normally, you know, when we're attacking the Hammersmith end in the second half, the adrenaline goes up and the energy goes up. And I could feel it slipping away in the second yeah. half. And I didn't expect those two goals because they were kicking towards empty seats it does Dan make Byrne a difference heads. I bet yeah. you Dan Byrne told them to switch ends right. yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah. Yeah. also Dan Byrne won more headers in an afternoon at Craven Cottage than I've ever seen him win at Craven Cottage before <laughs> in his entire career cumulatively <laughs> just probably. in that no yeah probably yeah still only a tenth of the amount of headers he won at Old Trafford yeah, that no, time yeah, no, yeah. and then the second goal I mean you will say that it was Scott Malone's fault but it was just general poor defending all round there were numerous opportunities to yeah. clear the ball yeah. and we just got caught again and then it was a real uphill battle because that's a horrible time to concede just before half time. Absolutely, especially when you can see straight from the off Wigan were trying to be as compact as possible and the game plan almost worked well for them kind of inadvertently because they actually went 1-0 down quite quite early on really which is what teams don't want to do. What was it, fourth uh, goal uh, in the first 30 minutes for Fulham as we as we mentioned last week um, and it was it was a horrible time to concede because Wigan can actually regroup and sit behind the ball and make it hard for us to break it down. Um, and they kind of got lucky in a way that Wigan... They uh, did get sort of, lucky. I thought yeah. they were very lucky because we, we tripped up and they, they you know... They, they, how many shots in goal did they have the whole game? Not very many. They actually had quite more than you'd think. Really? But, but not very many notable ones, if you know what I mean. I, think, right. they, I think they must have had double figures in shots, but... Well, Button did make a couple of excellent saves in the second yeah, half, uh, both from Bogle, um, one of which I definitely thought was in. I nearly lost it with the fan behind me. I think he was trying to wind people up. Uh, there was the one that he tipped around the post, and yeah. it was only a few yeah. yards out, and um, this guy can't stand David Button. Yeah. And afterwards, he, he tipped it out for a corner. I was like, terrific save there, David. And he went, 
Should have caught it. Should have caught it. I can't believe that's in that corner. I, I so nearly rose to the bait, but I'm so literally myself. just nibbling you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's heard you on here singing buttons praises the whole time. There, there are so many things to go wrong before that second goal, though. Is in first of all, Reem tries to do too much. Yeah. Then McDonald shirks a challenge. Okay, and then the ball goes out wide, and Malone is, Malone is nowhere near the man he should be marking. And then no one is marking Max Power. I don't know where Odoi's gone because he's at right back. Yeah. No one is anywhere near Max Power. And instead of tracking his man, Malone appeals for offside. Watch, watch it again. Yeah. Malone turns to the linesman and appeals for offside. And if he tracks his man, he clears the ball. Well, he might put it in his own net, but he, <laughs> you know, if, he clear, if he tracks his man there, he clears the ball. And it, it just, I can't. People appealing for offside when the ball's still in play. Oh, I yeah. just, or I, stopping to, yeah. Just, yeah. just play to the and whistle. It, and even when the ball comes across and Malone tries to cut it out, as he's still got his hand up halfway up in the air for the offside, he doesn't really make a decent enough sort of effort to try and block any shot coming in. It's like as almost he wasn't aware that any other you know attacker was coming in for it or no one gave him a call or anything. But when in that situation, you really need to put your body on the line to try and stop things like that, especially when you're pretty much in a six-yard area and someone's about to poke it in. He were, you know, if he actually made a genuine lunge for it, I, you know, that could have gone anywhere. I mean, he might have got another own goal, but... <laughs> um, schoolboy. It's schoolboy, and you just... He's just defensively so weak at times, and I know, you know, that doesn't go down well because people like Scott Malone because he scores goals and... He has yeah, a great chant. He does have a good song, but a good song isn't enough to make up for defensive errors. I'll sing the song if he's on the bench. I don't, I don't mind. Like, you know, it's one of those. Just a word on Max Power. That um, I think for their credit, Max Power and Connolly. I mean, it showed out to me because I sit that side in that in that um, second half down that right side. They were very impressive. They were running all day long. They were the real sort of uh, impetus in their team. Every time the move broke down for us they were ready and willing to receive the ball every time down that right hand side it was it was almost as if the whole team knew down that right hand side that's where the outlet was going to be and Bogle was feeding off them so much that's where the real problems were coming from for us um, maybe because they knew that someone like Malone would be pushing up so much. Power is excellent, excellent, a really good game. Yeah. And we did highlight his, him as Wigan's key man beforehand. Um, I, I just thought he was he, he ran things, and some of the balls that Connolly played out of the middle there uh, mm. were, were were sublime. And uh, he he did a lot of back to back to sort of his own goal and playing balls over the defence yeah. and really stretching for them. And I thought he was they were both very very good and. They deserve if you know if we can do go down, they're they're going to be picked up by a yeah. by a club pushing higher up. Not I don't know if you agree with me, John. That I actually think Wigan is one of the better teams that we've seen at the cottage. It, I feel that their place second bottom in the championship seems to be a bit unreflective of what we saw on Saturday. Yeah, they seem to have a lot of spirit and kept at it. And um, I have to say. Uh, the kit is disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> Blue and white really stripes horrible. and red socks. How does that work? It just look. But um, no, they were patriotic. They, yeah, they were just uh, sort of Tesco bags, um, you know, <laughs> uh, running around um, um, by the river. But it was, um, uh, yeah, it was surprising because we were expecting. You look at the positions on the table and our sort of possession statistics, and you would think this is going to be a walkover. But they were pretty. They were a pretty strong side, and. Um, you know, teams that we've beaten like Reading five nil. You know, above us or whatever. Reading above us, I can't remember. Yeah, long yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> uh, yeah, there were no pushover at all. So it was a bit of a shock for us. Maybe there was compla- complacency on our side. Well, they, they certainly don't work on their celebrations. Talking about Max Powers, because 
his one was pretty embarrassing. I mean, fair play, he has scored a goal. Was that the bad goal. knee slide? Yeah. yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah, I don't remember <laughs> Michael that. Jacobs. You need and to practice those knee slides if you're a professional <laughs> yeah. footballer. You need to get the angle of attack right because it's not as easy as it looks right. sometimes. You have to have your back far enough back. I did you who did a textbook knee slide this weekend was Robbie Brady scoring against Chelsea. Absolute textbook to the corner, to the fat yeah. and stopped to just the... at the corner flag. It was a, it was executed <laughs> to perfection. That's so. why they that's why they practice it, Chelsea. Yeah, shout yeah. out <laughs> Robbie Brady. Um, so second half, um Slav brought in the early changes he certainly isn't afraid to make changes uh, when he doesn't think it's going right uh, Kevin McDonald and Martin subbed for on my sheet it says Lebanon um, that <laughs> yeah. is what, that's what the iPhone corrects for, for Cabano uh, and Syriac uh, so Syria Le- yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lebanon and Syria came on for Fulham in so the second half Middle East nightmare there. Yeah, what, was, <laughs> what was Slav's tactical plan? I think it was uh, independent Palestine with yeah. a two state solution yeah. but... <laughs> that will save for another podcast <laughs> But no, um, it did certainly give us a different dimension. It, it seemed a bit slow to work, but it maybe made us a bit more direct, Jack. I thought it was very clever, especially came back for Cabano. We saw that Wigan did a lot of missing out the midfield, which kind of negated the influence of Kevin McDonald as a shield in there. And so dropping Kearney back and playing the other three as a, as a, as a sort of pivot behind Martin, I thought was a, was a very, very clever move. And it did really work. And I thought it was interesting that he then, once it got to two all and we were probing and we were all over them, then brought Parker on in order to push Kearney up to allow him to try and thread a key pass. And bingo, it worked. And yeah. Like, you know, you've got, I've called, we've called out some bad, when we thought bad tactical decisions, I thought there was a masterstroke yeah. in that, and especially that last bit, bringing Parker on and bringing Kenny back up top. That Parker the, looks so assured, didn't he? It? Yeah, it's quite late in the game, though, he was brought on, and you're starting to think that his contract's like, you've got to let me have a go, and it's like, well, <laughs> 10 minutes ago or something. It felt very late, but he did look so poised, and so I think he just gives a confidence. When he gets the ball, you just know he's going to put it in the right yeah. place. You know he's going to go in without getting his shirt dirty as he, well. He's, he's just sort of, he's got a sort of, uh, sort of 1950s, uh, cigarette card hero look to him and you just think he's not gonna <laughs> hair isn't gonna go out of place and it just looks great he did do the magic roundabout thing where you know oh. he, he did it once at one point and I was like it's 92 minutes <laughs> stop going round in a circle he did beat he did beat, did beat one player about three times more than he should have done <laughs> and then beat him a fourth time just yeah. for good measure I, I did think it was an absolute masterstroke bringing on Parker because when he did pick up like you were saying before about we didn't need Kevin McDonald on the pitch to um to do that shielding anymore. Parker is, obviously, they play that similar position, but they're different types of player. Parker can actually beat a man in that middle of the park. And I think that worked quite well because he could actually pick the ball up and then beat beat one extra man. And when it's 11 v 11 in that situation where Wigan do have 11, like properly 11 men behind the ball, mm. when you beat that extra man, all of a sudden it's 11 v 10 again. And then it opens up Kearney picking up that spot you know, because that person comes out, tries to get Parker this time. And I think it was just added a different dimension to us. Maybe that maybe that is our plan B that we've been searching for. We did look slightly exposed was the only thing I thought when when that happened. They really should have scored a Right at a the end. Winner. Yeah, oh right God, at yeah. the end, yeah. As in, because we, it, it all got completely, we got completely overloaded through the middle. And that's, yeah. that's the risk, I suppose, associated with But I said to my brother at the time, I was like, I'd almost rather lose, go for it and lose, <laughs> than draw, because there's... As in, a point didn't really help us. As in, if yeah. anything but a win there, and it was, you know, kissing adios to the old yeah. playoff dream. Sir Alex Ferguson came out and said, always go, for the, always go for the win, even at 90 minutes, because the fans will always remember that time you go, you go mm-hmm. home, you watch that last-minute winner. They'll forget the last-minute losers. Yeah, and teaches a lesson to all those people who go two minutes early to get their car 
to beat the traffic, which uh, one or two people did. Well, I very nearly left at the end, and I said to my dad, uh, we'll stay to the next break in play. Fortunately, the next break of play uh, was the ball going back to the centre circle as Niskins Cabano uh, slid in for that late winner. Um, what a big goal that could be. And we've talked about on this podcast um, marginal points, you know, big moments that change not only a season for a club, but also for a player. It could be huge in both respects. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, when we had these three-word summaries, my personal one was playoff push kick started. And I was very generous with yeah. the wording there. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> There's a hyphen in playoffs. <laughs> and Kickstarter. <laughs> but it was it was one of those where I thought that it, it's a huge goal in terms of it's obviously going to give everyone such a boost around the club. You know, that's a you know, it keeps things on track. And now we're going straight into another game straight away. It, you know, it really does give us the sort of impetus that I think we would have been sorely lacking had that game ended at 2-all uh, when we kick off tomorrow night. And I think that when you look at it, for Cabana, he was excellent at AFCON. I don't know if anyone saw particularly many of his performances for the DRC, no. but he was really good at, at Spurs. He scored some excellent... He scored an excellent goal, sorry. And he he also just, you know, really took on players, beat players. He looked like he'd sort of come alive. And I think that, you know, his overwhelming memory of the season before that had been the missed header at QPR. Right, yeah. And I think that that was, you know, when people are like, what's Cabano done this season? That's the kind of two now. And now he has a positive one. And it was a really good goal. As in, yeah. hit, the pass is good from Kenny, but the touch out of his yeah, feet from yeah. Cabano is sublime. Yeah. And he puts it away with a plomb. And I think that, you know, he, you can see he has talent. Like, there's no, there's no, there's not been any doubt on the days he's come on that he's got talent. But I think that he needs to be part of this. You know, like you're saying, a plan B. He needs to be part of this now and, and embed into this squad and really start to kick on in order that we can push on and 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 start to develop. And I think that if he can do that now, you know, why not? He said that, uh, on Twitter, he said that uh, God decided the timing of that goal for him, which uh, if you could ask him to do a little bit earlier, I think yeah. we'd all breathe a bit more easily. <laughs> well, now with Adoy uh, scoring his first goal and Cabano uh, scoring his first goal, that means we've got a lot of different goal scorers in the team now, and especially uh, from last season where there was pretty much just three or four, um, McCormack, Dembele and a, a couple of others uh, it makes it makes quite a change there's 15 in the league 15 different goal scorers in the league and 18 including the Cups I'm not sure that's a good thing I, I, I think we want to know who to put the ball to in the box and rely on them to get 20 goals a season and then you feel a certain sense of confidence that it'd be nice to have a bit of both you're yeah. right yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, can all, they can all have 20 goals yeah. <laughs> if we're confused then maybe the opposition yeah. will be as maybe. well <laughs> yeah. who's the danger man uh, all of them yeah. <laughs> but now um, you're looking at the table it's still only six points between ourselves and Sheffield Wednesday uh, Norwich have gone on a bit of a run yeah. uh, and we'll come on to them uh, after their unbelievable win against Nottingham Forest, who are playing on Tuesday. Uh, but Reading, Leeds and Derby all dropped points. Admittedly, you'd have hoped that Derby would have dropped one more, uh, considering oh, they were 3-0 down to Bristol yeah. City at, at one point. To be honest, a lot of those teams in the playoffs, in and around the playoffs, they are tripping up quite a lot. Yeah, There's only really Huddersfield are actually on any sort of consistent run for a long time. I mean, Leeds have now lost twice in a row and they were sort of flying for ages. Yeah. No one seems to want to sort of consolidate that playoff place at all. Yeah, we're but at the end of the day, every game in the championship's tough. 
And there's a, yeah. and the other good thing about it is there's a lot of games. So yeah. um, there's about what 16 games left, and that's, a, that's yeah. you know that's, that's, a lot that's half the season in the Premiership, yeah. nearly. Um, yeah. Well, one of them is coming up very quickly. Uh, we'll touch more on Spurs generally in this show, and we'll come on to that in a couple of minutes. But first, uh, we'll look at the Nottingham Forest match, which, as we speak now, uh, is tomorrow night at the Cottage. There were, sorry, there were great big adverts around the side of the Cottage saying, "Treat your loved one this <laughs> Valentine's Day to to Fulham Nottingham Forest." I think just go back and say that to your partner. I'm See, how that goes. I'm, I'm genuinely bringing my girlfriend to film <laughs> uh, tomorrow What a treat. I know, I know. I'm just going by myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things they will be treated to is the return of Ross McCormack, uh, obviously left for us for big money in the summer. Um, joined Aston Villa, didn't work out from there. He had the whole gate-gate thing with, <laughs> gate, gate, uh, yeah. where he couldn't get out of his gates, which was all a very bizarre story. He's gone on loan to Nottingham Forest. He did bag his first goal on Saturday. Did you see his slightly... Awkward celebration. He shushed the Norwich crowd, which would be fair enough. He scored a goal. Maybe he was getting some stick. They were 4 0 down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just a polite walk back to the centre circle. Yeah. 4 0 down. I'd, I'd keep, yeah. I'd he didn't keep get that the quiet. ball either. Get the ball. No, get yeah. the ball. Yeah. <laughs> He's wearing number 50. Is he? You know, as if, as if, as if someone else has already got the forty-four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's doing this? Who are you? And what do you want? Um, but they seem very inconsistent. Nottingham Forest, uh, bad defeat for them uh, against Norwich on Saturday. One thing I noticed from watching Norwich play Nottingham Forest ended five-one to the Canaries, who are still on a good form. Four of the goals were from outside of the box. Uh, two or three of them Worldies. were yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. So that should be maybe the uh, game plan for Tuesday. Just tell Tom Kearney to keep shooting. Score un- unbelievable goals. Yeah, That's the game a plan. Yeah. That's a good note. Johnny Howson's volley what, is what? otherworldly. It is absolutely gorgeous and then and then and then Houlihan two minutes later goes anything you can do mate (laughs) (laughs) just pings one in from 40 yards you're like what's going on in this game Uh, do you think there's any uh, players that we need to keep an eye out for for Nottingham Forest Paitim Kasami oh yes is he playing he's not did he play the other night I don't think he did no I don't think he's actually been playing very much Um, he wasn't in the squad interestingly Nottingham Forest don't have a recognised goalkeeper yeah Right, something. Their, their well, goalkeeper has just been ruled out for the season. I tell, Henderson. You what, I tell you what, who did a good job at half time for Fulham was Billy the Badger, I thought, in oh, the yeah. penalty shootout. So we could lend them Billy the Badger for the rest of the yep. season and see how that goes. Actually, did anyone notice that Wigan substituted their goalkeeper at half time? Yes, he did. He got a bit of a knock in the first yeah, half. Howgard got injured um, and Matt Gilks came on. Well, who I didn't think did that well. But a doy's free kick. I think it's come through a massive. I did. I did notice this point. I thought it came through a massive bodies, and it's very. It stayed very low, which was, you know, maybe why it was such a good strike. And I think you'd be harsh on him. Maybe I've been say. listening too much to the fella behind me who just hates goalkeepers. Yeah, he just doesn't like <laughs> Although it, there is a great sort of like snapshot if you pause it as the balls hit the net, and uh, Gilks is pretty much on his ass. <laughs> like it's a position I don't think is easy to get into. Yeah. No. Well. Yeah. So Forest don't have a keeper and they have to play their under 18 academy prospect oh good so we've so as Farrell said earlier yeah clean sheet sheet coming up Uh, so let's move on to the Spurs game which is on Sunday it's a bit of a treat I thought like the Spurs game for Fulham fans Um, you know we haven't had a really big game like this since we came down from the Premier League and uh, it's a London derby it's the fifth round of the FA Cup it's on BBC One as well that's so a bingo it's... isn't it 2pm on BBC One yeah <laughs> um, so 
Spurs lost 2-0 to Liverpool. They're 10 points behind Chelsea in the league. Uh, the title has surely gone now. Let's hear from Spurs journalist uh, David Dom. Uh, we asked him to give us a little bit of a preview on how he sees the Spurs-Fulham game going. Despite the defeat to Liverpool, our pursuit of another top-four finish remains on track. The question, now particularly European commitments have begun again, is do Spurs have the sufficient depth to challenge on three fronts? No doubt the game on Sunday will see fringe players Harry Winks, Josh Onomar, Kieran Trippier and George Kevin and Kudu feature. But after the scare against Wickham, don't be too surprised to see Delhi Ali or Harry Kane play at some stage. I'm going for a 1-0 win for Tottenham. So Dom's gone for a 1-0 win for Spurs. I mean, it's not, it's not exactly a massively bold prediction. I'm sure that Spurs will be the bookies' favourites. But as I say, they're not on the greatest run at the moment. Uh, and Spurs might rest players for the Europa League game they've got against Ghent on Thursday they're also playing Ghent again at Wembley especially with them being at Wembley and their European run being so bad there they will be keen to impress in that second leg so I don't think it's a definite that Pochettino will prioritise the FA Cup over the Europa League. I think we've all got to keep a very close eye on Spurs' team sheet when it comes out yeah. on Thursday. I think them being away first is a positive for us. I think that they're going to have to go to Belgium on Thursday. That's not a very easy recovery. You know, it's obviously not that far, but you know, they're going to have to come home on late Thursday night or early Friday morning. I'd imagine they'll have Friday off. And It's a shame it's not Amakar Perm. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah. You imagine they have Friday off, and then you know they have one day training and back at it. So I think yeah. that you look at what what they'll do on on Thursday night, and it will give you a, yeah. a very good indication of what their team is going to be like on Saturday on Sunday. It's a really tricky situation with Pochettino. I can't actually call what he's going to do. I don't know where he's going to do a mixed team both times round. But looking at their starting eleven in the Premier League, he doesn't tend to rotate that much. He has a very settled eleven, bar injuries. Um, unlike some other teams in the Premier League who de- who tend to rotate a little bit. Yeah. So I don't actually know how he's going to see it. I mean, he might actually see that Fulham are a championship team at the end of the day, and we are going to be very weaker opposition than Ghent and other teams in the Premier League. So he might actually see a couple of uh, non-starting 11 players on Sunday. Well, I hope so. I mean, if they do go for the latter, go for a weaker team, they're surely there for the taking. I mean, they ran Wickham quite close in the fourth round. Yeah, Mm. I mean, we'll raise our game for that sort of fixture, I think. I think we'll see the best of Fulham. But, I mean, I can't pretend I wasn't slightly disappointed with the draw because I'd rather us just keep going in the cup, keep going Mm. in the cup and coming up against sides like Hull that we can you know, comfortably mm. beat. Uh, because when I saw that, I thought, oh, I'd so love us to get to the semis or the final. It'd be so yeah. fantastic. And I felt like that was, you know, the chances of that had slipped away a little bit. But that said, you know, we uh, if we give it everything and they have an off day and they're tired or they put out, you know, some some second string players, we've got a chance. And it would be a, another memorable another memorable win to add to some, some great cup wins at the cottage down the years. And it should be an amazing atmosphere as well. You expect it to be a sellout. Yeah, I would hope so. I did actually log on because I don't have a season ticket anymore because I've been abroad a lot. So I, I signed on to buy my tickets and they said, you do not have the correct privileges. I thought, look, I was at Fulham Ashford, okay? I, was, I saw us get knocked out by Hayes. I should get those privileges automatically. That should be, there should be like a questionnaire before yeah. you go. Were you at Hayes? Yes. Were you at Ashford Town? Yes. Feel free. Come on, yeah, in. Okay. Come on in. You know when they have like, they say uh, fans with booking history, then they go, what booking history? Yeah, yeah, what yeah, games yeah. You t- Were you at Fulham United? Yes. No, you can't have a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, tactically... On Sunday, we talked about it as as the battle of the fullbacks. Uh, Fredericks is now suspended. Danny Rose uh, could well be out, uh, and also uh, Jan Vertonghen 
uh, is possibly injured as well, who's an amazing defender uh, for Spurs. And certainly I watched the highlights of them uh, losing to Liverpool. There was plenty of space in behind their defence and Liverpool are another team that play very similar to Fulham. We talked about it on the podcast and if Slava adopts a similar tactic on Sunday, it could work out well for us. Well, you see what uh, Sadio Mane did to Ben Davis, and he he literally ruined him twice <laughs> in about two minutes. And I think that you know what you've got to say there. And there was a, there's a lot of chat today on you know, a variety of football mediums about the fact that would Liverpool have won that game if Danny Rose had been fit? And I think that you know, considering that he might not be fit, that's something that we need to look at and go. You know, here's an opportunity for us. We've got quick wingers. We've got wingers that are direct and like to take on people. Let's have a go. Um, let's you know, when, you know, we're not Sadio Mane, but we do have some talented footballers and you know players that are willing to give it a go and, and run it. Days. Let Aite, let Cabano, let Luca have a go at them yeah. and see how we get on. Do you think Syriac will will start ahead of Martin then? Oh, why not? If he's going to put that in, you know, Slav said that he's still working out how he's going to use him. I don't know how effective that front three will be without Martin's hold-up play bringing them into the game. Mm. And this is going back to something that you said earlier, John, about how it's different with the amount of players that we've had scoring and, yeah. and the fact that there isn't a man that does 20 goals in the team. And I wrote a thing about McCormack and Martin and the different options they give you as a team. And what Martin does is he brings in those players who are all you know, now scoring goals and now, you know, contributing in that manner. And I think that I'd be interested to see how that front three works without Martin as the focal point and with a kind of off-the-shoulder striker instead. Yeah, I mean, uh, our possession game that we've been, you know, if you look at the statistics we've been racking up for possession, it's like 70% most games, 65%, and that's just not going to happen against Spurs. I just don't think they're going to let us... They're just going to sit back like that. So it'll be a completely different sort of game to what we're used to down in the cottage. And uh, I think, you know, it's going to be much harder. We're going to be um, chasing the game a lot more than we're used to. I think it's going to be quite a tactical battle between Pochettino and Jukanovic. And two managers who I think are very similar in both their demeanour and their football philosophy and kind of their journey to the top. They're kind of both young, ambitious managers who I see going down similar paths. I see Jukanovic as maybe a Pochettino minus five years or so. Well... There was a lot of calls for Jukanovic to move up, step up to the Premier League when he got um, Watford promoted and then he was unceremoniously dumped by them. Um, <laughs> that there were some jobs available at the time, but for some re- for one reason or another, I don't know what they are, he didn't get a job in the Premier League. He maybe just didn't quite have the experience. Although he got Watford promoted, it was mm. two-thirds of a great season and maybe the Premier League clubs just thought, OK, you need a bit more, a yeah. few more, a few more years before we even consider you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I see him in the Premier League next season with Fulham, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> we love but an it, optimist here at Fulhamish Pod. <laughs> in the worst case scenario, do you see him in the Premier League if Fulham weren't to make it, though? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, if, I suppose if he got an offer from a club that looked like it could sustain a, you know, a, a period in the Premiership, that'd be hard to turn down. Yeah, but do you more imagine that a Premier League club would be interested rather than whether Jukanovic would be interested? Oh, I think they would. I think they look at the way he's got Fulham playing. I know they haven't been sort of you know um, as consistent as we would like, but I think the the, the way he's changed things from when he came, mm. I think he's a, he's a obviously clearly a great tactician. Mm. Yeah. I mean, to change the team identity that that quickly yeah. in just a summer, pretty much, because yeah. he, he'd taken on a squad that wasn't his last year yeah. and the players weren't ready for his ideas as yet. Um, to take that over one summer mm. is just remarkable. 
absolutely remarkable. So that Spurs game will be on Sunday, two o'clock on BBC One. Or uh, at the cottage. Or at the cottage. <laughs> but certainly, if you're listening to this abroad, uh, it should be fairly easy uh, to watch that game uh, on various channels or streams, whatever you like. But Fulham are in the fifth round of the FA Cup. It's been a nice little run so far. And it's the first time in a few years that Fulham have made uh, a run to the mid to latter stages of the FA Cup. And we don't have an amazing cup history. We haven't been to numerous finals or even won uh, the trophy. But certainly Fulham do have uh, a lot of memories, uh, negative and positive, from the FA Cup. So I want to talk about our no guts, no glory moments. And then this is... Uh, I'll come on to why we're talking about no guts, no glory in that phrase uh, later on. Uh, but John, uh, let's start with you. Have you got any FA Cup memories? You mentioned Ashford Town just a few moments ago. That was that you an were insane there. game. I mean, that was a game where they put us on coaches to the big Ashford Channel Tunnel sort of centre, and then we were, to, we were ferried to this ground, and it was basically a, a park somewhere in Kent, and you just stood on the muddy touchline. And there was, there was no stands or anything. And it was absolutely teeming with rain. And you could not see a thing. And uh, all I remember is us going two down and not quite knowing why. Trying to climb on a wall to see a bit more. The police saying, get down off the wall. Off the wall and everyone going, no, we're not going to because we can't see anything. And then um, <laughs> Mick, Mickey Adams. I think we got two penalties. And I think Mickey Adams uh, put them away. Can we sign him? Yeah. And, um, yes, quite. And uh, then we brought him back to the cottage. And we still went to extra time at the cottage. It ended up being three all and then five three. So that was an, that was a, they were like non-league. And we, I don't know what division we were in back then. But that was an insane game. Then the other ones I remember from way back were losing to Hayes. And I remember people chucking their scarves on the pitch. You know, that was in the uh, Alan Dix uh, days, I think. People used to shout, Dix out, Dix out. Yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> uh, just not what you want to really hear when you've got your family with you. But um, and, then, um, and then we lost to Yeovil as well. I remember non-league Yeovil knocked us out one year. That was all in the sort of dark days of the early 90s. And um, uh, I wasn't at the Yeovil one, but I was at the other two. And they were both like... We're, wow, we're, we're, we're struggling here. <laughs> we have to take the highs with the lows. As many great memories uh, as, as Fulham will have, and there are times we beat bigger teams, uh, there are those times where you lose to the lower teams, but you kind of have to go through those lows uh, to appreciate the highs. Hopefully one of them uh, will come on Saturday. Jack, is there any other uh, memories that stand out for you from the FA Cup? I mean, my standout, as we'll probably gone to discuss you know we're talking the I remember losing 2-0 to Man United at the cottage uh, 2-1 to Man United at the cottage and I remember being there for Fabrice Fernandez scoring that free kick at, and to make it one all and I copied that celebration that he did with his arms out and his tongue out uh, doing sort of an aeroplane with his tongue out for years as, as in until I was at least 17. It was probably <laughs> the last year of the 90s-style baggy football shirts, really. It was a demon internet white with yeah. the, the <laughs> oh, yeah. across it. An actually iconic shirt. Yeah. But yeah, that's, um, you know, that scoring against then Premier League Man United when we were running away with the, the first division title mm. was yeah. magnificent. And it was like, we can mix it. Maybe we can yeah. mix it with the big boys. And then I think Sheringham scored an 85th-minute oh, winner God, or yeah. something. Yeah, and, yeah I remember that game. It was all a bit disappointing, but like even to have competed and gone, you know, stood toe to toe with United at the time was a massive thing for me. And I remember being like, "Oh, this is this is real good." And it's must, you know, one of my it's one of my first football memories, and really being that season's the first season I can really remember being at most of the games, and it becoming that being a, like a standout moment for me. I mean, um, that was just a couple of years before we were supposed to become the Man United of the South. Haha, uh-huh. we came close. Are we still there? Are we there yet? 
We haven't quite reached it, have we? No. We're still we're still in development stage. I think I think Alf Ayadach at one point said he'd abandoned that plan. Did he? <laughs> he was like, I, I've, I've, come, I've taken them as far as I could both. I now want them. to be the Carlisle United of the <laughs> yeah. South. Yeah, exactly. Um, Farrell, any FA Cup memories that stand out for you? Uh, one stuck out, well, a couple stuck out for me. Uh, I remember from the mid-90s, I mean, it was the first time I'd seen Fulham on TV, which at the time was just... Didn't happen, did it? It didn't happen. No. And I think it was against Brighton. I think it was, a, it was a cup replay. And I remember Tony Lang, who was the goalkeeper, scoring the winning penalty to send us through to the second round, I think it was God. at the time. And I remember that being just amazing. And having to, we all uh, went round our... Uh, aunt and uncle's house to go and watch the game because they were the only ones with Sky at the time. <laughs> there's uh, a couple, yeah, there's, just as the old bloke, I'm going to chuck in a couple of, uh, a couple of <laughs> other ones, but there's a great game against Swansea when we were in the fourth tier and they were in the third tier and we beat them 7-0 mm. with seven different goal scorers. And I think that remains the highest ever uh, victory of a lower division club beating a yeah. club from a higher division in any, in any, any competition. FA Cup. Yeah. There was. I remember reading that one coming up on the on the old uh, BBC full time video print. You know, and when it was like a really high score, it would put it in brackets. Yeah. Seven. Just to, just to really <laughs> emphasise it to all the Welsh fans. <laughs> yes, seven. We beat you by. That's really good. And then of course Spurs. You know, uh, let's not forget. Not so long ago, we were, went four 0 up against them in the cup. That was a cup game, wasn't it? Yeah. We were in, uh, 2011, I think. We were four 0 up in like 20 minutes. Or something. Yeah. yeah. Insane. And we had loads of you get involved um, on Twitter when we. Asked you what your favourite FA Cup memories. Drew Heatley agrees with you. The fifth round defeat at Old Trafford. Uh, that's the wrong one. My one was at Craven Cottage. Oh, I've okay. Never been to Old oh, Trafford. the fifth round defeat at Old Trafford that uh, was in '99. Yeah, that was. Uh, and lots of people, obviously, bringing up 1975. Now, slightly before my time, but an amazing run nonetheless. I went back through and just looked at the results from '75. Now, this is in the days before there was just a cap well, of one replay. Yeah, and. The actual run to the final, it's I know all, it's... It was all away as well. Every, yeah, every, they, yeah. they didn't get a single home draw, I think, in that whole run, no. did they? And, um, yeah, Birmingham City was the semi, I remember. And, and Simon Morgan's book talks about him going to see that. That's the first... You know, he's got a very strong memory of going to being, has, having his heart broken by Fulham before he came <laughs> to be one of our great players, you know, throughout the, uh, throughout the 90s. But the mental thing for me is some of the fixtures and the schedule of it. So the Nottingham Forest game, I think, in particular, I think there was four... Different. I think it took four, four re- times for Fulham to beat games. them. I mean, one point they were playing on a Monday, and then they'd rearrange up in Nottingham for the Wednesday. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's great. It was four. I'm games. just trying to think the, log- the logistics of that, right, lads? Um, can we book a coach? Yeah. How four games in a fortnight? Yeah. yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. Absolutely nuts. And then, then the '75 final, which um, I watched uh, again the other day. I had seen it before, and how on top Fulham were. In that yeah, final, Mallory and yeah. Moore, yeah, I think that might be the last time Moore played at Wembley. I'm not, maybe I'm wrong there, but um, uh, it was. It, we, you can Google it, I'm sure. Uh, I've got a very strong memory of watching it as a kid and wanting Fulham to win. And um, Alf Garnett doing this, they got Alf Garnett to do this little bit of punditry beforehand, and him going, "Yeah, well, your your pensioners might uh, support Chelsea, but you've got pensioners playing for Fulham." So he's taking the Mickey out of uh, Mallory and Moore. Well, um, Les Strong didn't play, did he? There was the, he got injured right. in the two days. Three we played Portsmouth two or three days like, in a really weird thing. Like two, I think it was two days before the game, and and he got injured in that game, and he was obviously the old oh, um, yeah. focal point. Do you imagine that playing two days before a final? Yeah, I, <laughs> in I, a home game against Portsmouth. I, like, you know. I, I named all the characters of one of my novels after that team. <laughs> so the hero, <laughs> the hero of this is your life is called Jimmy Conway. <laughs> 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 
Um, so the reason that we wanted to bring up the FA Cup, and this is our big news, and we've been teasing it for the a little reveal. while. I mean, maybe it's going to be a bit of a damp squib after this, but it's very exciting. So Jack, Ben, and myself uh, will most likely, I still don't want to 100% confirm it, uh, be on BBC Sports website later this week uh, giving our fifth round predictions against uh, the infamous Mark Lawrenson challenge Lauro challenge Lauro we've been asked to challenge him uh, and we have and we're also talking about our no guts no glory moment now this is the thing that the BBC uh, have been talking about uh, all season asking people to think of their greatest FA Cup memory uh, supporting their team so this is why we had to ask the question and this is why we got you to help uh, and the game we haven't talked about yet that, that we did decide on was actually fairly recently uh, back in 2013 Wolves 3 Fulham 3 at Molyneux yeah I was there an amazing amazing game um, just for so many reasons oh, it was just ridiculous I mean what sums it up is the snow for a start, you couldn't even see that. You, whether, if no one's been to Molyneux before, um, you, the away stand is quite uh, unique in the sense that it's in the middle, the middle, whereas usually you're behind one of the goals. So when it snowed really heavily towards the end of the game, you couldn't actually see either goal. So we were <laughs> chanting, can you tell us if we've scored a goal? <laughs> <laughs> there was a moment in that game that I didn't know about, that in the 116th minute, bearing in mind it was a replay and already in extra time, they offered to abandon the game. The referee asked, and Wolves were winning at the time, and apparently Simons was like, no, we need to get this done. <laughs> and then, no, thankfully it did, because uh, we went on to win it. But also, magic things that happened in the cup. Collie Woodrow scored twice in that game. Collie Woodrow loves a brace <laughs> in the cup. <laughs> I remember the snow was so heavy on the ground, and they didn't actually stop for a little while to let it kind of, uh, the snowstorm pass. But Patrick Roberts played most of that game. But I just remember thinking and sort of watching, he was so small that he couldn't kick the ball far enough for it to go through the snow because it was just getting caught up and he just couldn't really get ahead of steam the whole time. We played a really weird formation. We were discussing this, me and Sammy, the other day. We were we played like Dembele like wide on the left yeah. with like Woodrow through the middle and McCormack wide on the right. And, it, you know, that's just... What? <laughs> to his, to his credit, madness, it to worked, it. but... I mean, to his credit, Corley Woodrow scored an excellent header. A really good really, goal. Really, really good, good goal. goal. Um, but I, you know, you, <laughs> I don't feel bad for him. But that that Wolves defender who decided to handball from the free kick for the last minute penalty, he must he must have felt so bad. <laughs> Richard oh. Stearman. It wasn't him, was it? It was Richard Stearman. Was it? I think it was, yeah. Um, But, I mean, an amazing game. I think more for the fact that it was just a kind of game that you never expected Fulham to win in the cold at Molyneux, Wednesday night, third round replay. And that's why I think we chose it in the end because we thought it symbolised the no guts, no No glory glory very nicely, as in sometimes you have to win those non glamorized to get those glamorized at Sunderland, which is where we ended up in the fourth round. Right. In, and we played that game where we had an average age. Our average age the next round in that cup was 22, the average age of the squad that played at Sunderland that, that day. And then, Really? Yeah. I think the greatest memory of going to that game in the Stadium of Light is it was the day that Bradford beat Chelsea, yeah, coming yeah. from 2-0 down. And we were far more excited at the end after our 0-0 <laughs> draw that Bradford yeah. had beaten Chelsea. There were Bradford City songs um, in the concourse yeah, at the Stadium of Light that. after the game. We sang the Lassie Vegan Christensen song for 90 minutes that day. Like, <laughs> yeah. as, in, as in full-on Amarillo for 90 minutes. It was all, all that the Stadium of Light must have heard from Fulham for the whole time. 
Well, um, anyway, yes, that is what is happening later this week. So keep an eye out on BBC Sports. Uh, you'll see Jack, uh, Ben and myself. Uh, we were filming outside of Craven Cottage. It was on Friday, which if you're in London, you might remember it was snowing. It was so cold. That's why we're blue. I actually <laughs> think, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't warm up for the rest of the day. It was just so damn cold. We actually went to the cottage cafe afterwards. Really uh, reasonable. Yeah, <laughs> these are my thoughts on the cottage cafe. <laughs> A good uh, tea and bacon, uh, bacon yeah. sandwich uh, deal. Um, so yeah, have a look out for that uh, later this week on BBC Sport. Very exciting for the podcast to be given some uh, some national coverage uh, and much needed. Uh, much needed publicity as well. So that's uh, the end of the podcast, uh, really. Hopefully uh, it's going to be another exciting week for Fulham as we play Nottingham Forest and Spurs later this week in the FA Cup. Can we create another FA Cup memory? Uh, Secretary Jack, have you got a title for today's podcast? Leaving it late. Leaving it late. Okay, that sounds good to me. Uh, in honour of Niskins Cabano's in very all, yeah. late winner in the 90s. I was going to go for an extended version, leaving it late to lick the latex, but I'm sure that um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if it would fit in the uh, fit in the title page. So My I thought God, leave it. as much alliteration as you can possibly. Throw I'm an in. English student. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack uh, Farrell and John, uh, thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, John, have you have you enjoyed your appearance oh, on Fulhamish? I'm very thrilled to be in this uh, this radio studio with you guys, and uh, I'm very impressed by your detail knowledge of clearly much too much time spent on the internet reading about <laughs> and, uh, and I'm, I'm sure your degree will not reflect this uh, well thank you very much for coming on uh, feel free to come on anytime you like uh, once again and uh, we'll see you next week with another podcast on Monday so bye for now cheerio bye bye take it easy